I want to welcome two-time Grammy-nominated R&B singer, artist here, one of the best in the game to ever do it. Over 21 years here, independent in the game as an R&B artist, singer, songwriter, goes by the name of Eric Roberson. Eric Roberson, how's it going, man? Welcome to the show, Sports Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max, Live 265, iHeartRadio. I love it, man. Two of my favorite subjects, man. So this is perfect. <laughs> and, and R&B and hip hop go hand in hand. When they collaborate together, something special comes out of it for sure. I agree. I mean, really, for me, I, I just love co collaborating genres. When you think of some of the biggest records that ever happened is when, you know, polka mixes with hip hop or like rock and roll mixes with R&B or whatever. So, you know, I'm always I sit up when a genre mixes over. It's like, oh, we're, we're combining. We're collaborating today. You know, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. Hip hop played a major influence in you getting started because one of your main three interests in getting started was a tribe called Quest alongside of Stevie Wonder and Commissioned. Yeah, you know, I grew up in New Jersey. I grew up a hip hop kid. And, you know, when it came time to try to create music, I, it was it was rough trying to figure out, OK, you know, I'm in church half the week already. I'm putting that in there, house music, hip hop. And, and I think a tribe called Quest, and I got to give credit to De La Soul. Both of them were like, they allowed me to um, remove the rule book and just really follow my heart. And like I say, well, if it feels good, just follow it. And and that's to me what Tribe Called Quest was was really able to do a lot. So it, it I wouldn't be the artist I'm today without that. Are there cu currently any hip hop acts that you draw inspiration from today? Oh, all the time. I mean, yeah. Ken Kendrick Lamar's last album is is killing. You know what I mean? I, I was really really inspired by that. I mean, I listen to all kind of stuff, man. Earl sweatshirt, <laughs> like, <laughs> give me whatever. Like, if you tell me somebody like, yo, you heard that? That joint's wild. I'm like, dial me up. I need to listen to it. For for me, I'm I'm constantly trying to hear the song I didn't write. I mean, the song I wish I wrote. You know what I mean? Whether it's hip hop, whether it's R and B, whether it's classical, whatever. I would want to hear a song and go, oh my god, I wish I wrote that. You know what I mean? So, that's kind of uh, that's kind of what I chase after. No matter what I'm listening to, I'm listening for that. I really enjoy listening to your newest album, Lessons, because it, when you really listen to it, it just draws you right in because no matter what you're going through in life, God is always teaching you lessons. Yeah. And he, he just has this way of showing you different things and messages no matter what you're going through throughout your life. When was it that you embraced whatever was going on in your life and you said that God may be teaching me lessons here? Oh, a million times. I mean, the reason why I'm an independent artist, I have to get in you know, failed record deal at the failed record deal at the failed record deal, even relationship wise, like just kind of the more I try to control my destiny, navigate where things were going, the more I ran into roadblocks. And the moment that I was like, just be aware and allow things to happen was when things really started working out, you know what I mean? So um, in every aspect, man, like even, you know, you probably can hear my kids in the background right now, as much as I always think I got it figured out, it's like, no, no, you got to you got to be aware of what's happening today. What lesson is there to be learned today? And once you figure out, you, it's like sports, right? So you take golf for a perfect example. I don't know if you golf. I used to golf. OK, so yeah. one day you go on the on the on the course and somebody might give you a bit of advice. Oh, man, if you if you if you move your feet in a little bit more, you know, and you hit it straight like, my God, that's great. And you say, OK, I'm going to play tomorrow. You go with that same strategy. And you're smacking it into the woods. It's like because for some reason now it's a new day. It's the wind is different, the grass is different, and your structure is different. So you gotta learn how you're supposed to swing that day and adjust to the, you know, and life is it's the same thing if you if you ball and shoot hoop, like man, my jumper is water today. Oh my God. And you go to the gym the next day, you can't make nothing. It's like because you can't shoot off of what you you can't shoot like yesterday. Today is today. 
you're being guarded by somebody different. The air in the room is different, like, you know, so the rim is different. So you got to just always apply um, what's in front of you and try to learn from that. Absolutely. Born in Newark, raised in Rahway. Were you a Nets fan growing up at all? No, man, listen. Uh, so I'm a diehard Giants fan, <laughs> which then it, I was always told, at least I, my analogy was Giants, Knicks, Yankees, because it seemed like Nets, Jets, Mets. Yeah. So, so, so uh, yeah, no, nah, I couldn't do it, man. I couldn't. I went to a Nets game when I was really young. And I saw Der- uh, Derek Coleman, who I met later, man, was mad cool, um, missed two free throws to lose a game. And I was like, nah, B. And then, then Patrick Ewing got drafted to the Knicks. And it was it was love at first sight ever since then. But in the, but I've been tormented, you know. The Giants have been very rewarding. The Yankees have been very rewarding. But the Knicks has just been – it's been tough, man. I need therapy, like, for real. <laughs> I'm a Knicks fan, too, so I know what it's like yeah, every year. Man. I grew up not wearing Jordans. I was so dedicated. Like, You're wearing Ewings. Yeah, I, I was yeah. like, it didn't make sense to me that Spike Lee could be a Knicks fan, but yeah, shoot commercials with Jordan. Like, like, yo, you really working with the enemy right now? It's like, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I'm, mean, I'm different now. My son has a pair of Jordans on now, and um, so now I can look back at it now. But oh man, tough years, man. And it's even tougher now. Like when they choked Charles Oakley out, they they choked me out of that room. You know what I mean? Like that that hurt a lot. But, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully eventually. I, it ain't like I'm going to start wearing a Phoenix Suns jersey or nothing like yeah, that. No. <laughs> <laughs> go get, go get the now. Kevin Johnson jersey or Nash jersey yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. Oh, man. But, yeah, the Knicks, it's, it's rough. And, you know, hopefully they pull it together eventually. But you've had a hell of a career being 21 years and independent. But there's been some bumps in the journey originally getting signed to Warner Records and being there for a short time because you originally got hooked up through the group shy when you were on the campus at Howard. Yeah, those good friends, still good friends to this day. And I appreciate it, man. I mean, it was life changing. They, they were exploding. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen somebody one day in a dorm room, the next day, like on Arsenio Hall. And, and then two weeks later, they sold 8 million copies. Like it was like that the label signed them and said, you got one week to make an album. And it was like, I never saw it. It was something crazy, but in all that time, I gave them my demo tape and they passed it on when they got, they, they, they remember that like, yo, when we get to LA, we'll pass it on. And it, it created a buzz and created an interest. And that's really how my career started. But you know, the biggest thing also too, was at, up to that point, I think all of us were in at Howard making music and I don't think Puffy effect happened yet. He had just left. Right. <clears throat> so I don't know if it was really impactful what was happening yet. Um, but we were trying to be the dopest singer on campus. I want to be the dopest songwriter on campus. And when Shy took off, it was like, oh, we could do this. Oh, we, we actually can have a living doing this. And I think so many careers that happened after that, Cy Smith to Chris Dave to Ray Angry, I mean, musicians, producers, everything. I think it started from everybody watching Shy really like leave and take off. Like it was, it was pretty magical time. They had some hit records. If I ever fall in love and comforter, they had their run there. Yeah. yeah, they had a good run, man. I think that. Let me tell you, them publishing checks are probably still looking quite good, man. You know, and and uh, yeah, man, they they all they're all doing good, man. That's the good thing. That uh, everybody's doing good. Everybody's uh, still loving music. Shy. Not everybody. Not that all the original members are still in the group, but they're still touring and stuff like that as well. So it's a beautiful thing, man. Something that I really enjoyed was the fact that you put Kenny Green on your new album along with Intro because Intro is very, yes, that right there, very underrated trio right there. And Kenny Green, he's another 
talented songwriter who never gets his credit. Yeah. For me, one of the biggest accomplishments for this album is um, paying homage, giving flowers to a, to an artist we haven't had a chance to celebrate in over, what, 20, 25 years now, you know? So um, it's been a blessing, man. And I tell you, it's like a, it's like a cult following. So like that, sometimes I do a show and someone will come up and just go, Kenny Green. You know, and you don't have to say much more. It's like, ah, uh, but I remember when intro first album came out and uh, that was, I think it was a sophomore at Howard and just like, who is this? And then found out he wrote for Mary and stuff like that. So really trying to celebrate him. Unfortunately, you know, he had an untimely death very early on or early in his, in his career. But uh, if not, I think he would, he would still be one of the legends. We would still be celebrating and hearing new records from right now because he really, you know, I didn't, I didn't meet him personally, but from working with the Survivor members of Intro and all the producers I know who worked with him, this guy worked, like wrote, created till he passed. Like, all, yeah. like it, reminded me, it reminded me a lot of Jay Dilla. Like, like just worked all the way to like, okay, I know I'm not surviving long, so let me just work all the way till I can't work anymore or I can't breathe anymore. And um, so just trying to celebrate them. Yeah. Buddy, when I interviewed Buddy and Jeffrey, the, the remaining members, they, they told me the story behind Come Inside and they said that everything that happened on that song was real and they actually played that full track on the radio with everything going on in the booth and everything all explicit. <laughs> yeah, now listen, what I will tell you is for what I was told and, and shout out to Buddy and, and Jeff as well, Kenny was a wild dude, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a wild dude. He liked to have fun, man. Like to celebrate and like to party, and uh, and he lived and he wrote that way. Like he wrote, he no need to hold back. Let's record. Let's write. Let's. Let, he sung that way. Let me get everything I have into every word I'm saying. So it's a dope way, man. I, I think he was he was somebody we should really be studying still to this day. So of course I'm trying to pay homage to him when I can. Fred Hammond, a huge influence of yours as well. You were able to meet him. That your friends surprised you with a meeting with him at a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, you know, it's a blessing that it happened. I was probably gonna fire them, you know, uh, and beat them all up for doing so. But me and Fred, you know, to the, that's one of the crazy things is that, like, even to this day, I'm like, I'm kind of like scratching my head, going, "How are we friends?" You know what I mean? Like, you know, here's somebody like the reason why I started writing. You know, and now there's times when, he, like, I'm during this pandemic, just like he might just call him, like, "Hey, man, I'm just calling, check on you," or vice versa. And you go like, "This, like, this is like literally Superman, <laughs> you know, Iron Man or Flash or Spider-Man, literally calling you up, like, did, did my hero just call me?" You know what I mean? So, but he's a great dude, man, and um, and it's been an honor and a pleasure creating music with him and sharing the stage with him and stuff like that. So that's one of the pleasures of of really. Uh, being in this industry that a lot of my heroes, you know, I've had a chance to work with or become friends with, you know, which is, which is really mind boggling. What's amazing is the fact that you were able to accomplish this on the independent route, because not everyone would believe that. And just you staying through the thick and thin, because hearing about your stories at Warner, because when, when Benny Medina was there, he left as soon as you were signed pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I look at it now, man, I think it's all for the better. I think if let's even say that, my first record on Warner Brothers took off and was hugely successful. I don't, the moon. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think I would have, you know, 17 albums, 16 albums, whatever albums there are. I don't know if I would have the longevity. I might still be somewhere singing the moon, but I don't know if I would really have, like, I would be, would be able to grow. And for me, it's all about just having, I'll tell anybody, like, even my students or anybody I'm mentoring, it's like, just have the audacity to keep going. 
you know, I was talking to a, a, a female artist earlier today, and and she was she, first. I was asking, what did you want to do? Like in five years, where do you want to be at? And she spoke more about the fear. You know, I know it's really hard to do this, so maybe I want to do that. And I was like, no, but what do you want to do? What is it that you want to do, right? You know, I get it. It's hard. But what is it? That, like, let's not talk about the fear. Let's let's talk about what you know and really fight after that. Like, what are you willing to sacrifice and, and stay on? And for me, it was never another option. Like music was so in my blood. My creativity was like pushing me forward that there was no other option, man. And then, then I, I was in the industry enough to see getting signed wasn't always the right answer. I, I saw so many artists, so many albums get made never, that never came out. So I was kind of like, nah, nah, let's, let's try something different. You know, let's try something different. So it, it's worked out. And speaking of that, when you first signed your deal, you asked for a pair of headphones because in Benny Medina's <laughs> office, you saw a stack of CDs of shelled music. So you were listening to like unreleased prints and all these upcoming R&B artists that we probably never even heard of, unfortunately. And that's what kind of clicked in your mind. Like, this can't happen to me. Yeah, that wall was from the ground all the way up, all the way through the entire office. And yeah, that first night, one of my biggest musical pleasures, right? But then you think two weeks later, a month later, a year later, when half that wall, ne you never heard it again, right? And you're like, what? what? You know, that was the first time that that idea popped in my head that like, it's not guaranteed. Yo, getting signed was easy. Like having a record come out and be successful, that's where the hard work comes in. So when you look at a, a music soul child, a Jill Scott or Anthony Hamilton or Erica Badu or even an Usher, to have that longer career on, on a major, um, and have that company still give you that much attention and work behind you and put marketing plans behind you. It, you got to tip your hat off to them because it's not easy. There's so many, I can run off for every music soul child. There's 20 guys who are just as talented, who came to New York, they recorded, and then after that it was over. And they were back home, you know, cutting hair or, you know, working in a cubicle or something like that. And it's like, wait, what happened? Why, why wasn't that like recognized, you know? So, you know, we, we used to be in the studios just always talking about that. I mean, really, you know, I, it's funny. We were having a conversation. Um, I, I was listening to a, a certain podcast, a basketball podcast, and they were talking about all the guys who were hooping really crazy in high school, but their, their game didn't transition in college or pros. And they're like, oh, that guy should have been pro. We say the same thing musically. We go, oh, man, you know, this guy, oh, he's such an incredible singer. What, what happened? You know, and for me, I just didn't want to be, I didn't want to be part of that lost art. I was like, man, at this point, I would give the music away before, before I allowed somebody to tell me I couldn't do it. What was a humbling moment was when you went back to Howard and Ooh. all the people on campus were like, man, what happened to Eric? <laughs> and eventually you were able to pull yourself out of it and, and go independent and start doing what you're doing now, especially with Blue Arrow Soul for all these years to come. Now, what was it that in your mind frame that you were able to pull yourself out of that period? Because that would have broke a lot of people going back to college. And after yeah. that deal went through, because it's like, once you can't get that deal, who knows if I can really start up again, but you did. Well, the blessing was I, I had a scholarship. I think without that scholarship, I think, you know, having my parents reinvesting or trying to go out, it, it, it wasn't that hard. What I would tell you is I went back and they weren't going to grant me my scholarship first. My mom was like, well, what's going on? I said, well, the next deal fell through. She's like, well, you, why don't you go back to school and see about your scholarship? And I was like, eh, all right, I'll go. And then at first they were like, nah. And I remember going back telling my mom, like, mom, I don't think the scholarship's still there. And she's like, 
no scholarship still. <laughs> she's like, you go back, you sing for everybody, you bring a stack of CDs there, you sign autographs, you do whatever, you don't leave that building till your scholarship's back. And that's exactly what I did. I mean, I practically was standing on tables. <laughs> I love you to the moon, give me my scholarship back. I was like, whatever. And, and I got my scholarship back. But what I would tell you is walking across that campus again, now as an unsigned artist, but no one knows yet, you know, because you got to think that, so I'm, I'm at Howard with a song out. When the moon was out, I actually was still there. And, and then I left and was touring and stuff like that. And then everything got quiet. It just instantly, all the deals went away. So when I came back, it was still a little bit bubbling. Like, when's the album come out? Oh, it's coming out soon, I guess, you know? And probably about like next semester, it's, and it's quiet again. Now it's obvious, like, oh, he's back. And this is not working for him. And the money's gone, all this stuff's gone. But I will tell you that it was, it was tough. It was humbling, but it made me better. And I think um, the fact that my lyrics got better in that time, the fact that my grades got better in that time, I think is what saved me because it maybe was like, okay, I'm getting better. And it made me realize that I maybe wasn't, wasn't that good yet. Like when I was sure I was good enough to get signed, but I don't know if I was the artist that I wanted to be. I don't know if I was the producer or the songwriter that I wanted to be. So actually going back to school gave me that time, um, as embarrassing as it might've been at the time, it gave me that time to kind of work on my skill set and come back with a new fire. And it all becomes full circle 360 because maybe that was God teaching you another lesson. Yeah, yeah complete, I mean, completely, completely. Because a lot of it is, you know, that was probably the start of me saying, what is success for me? Let me define my success, you know? And I didn't really understand it yet still at that point, but it was probably the start of it, you know, because I, I found happiness when I went back to school. Sure, it was embarrassing, it was tough in the beginning, but... Um, but I rededicated myself. I became a new person. You know, the person you're talking to right now, like that's that that was birthed in that time. So, yeah, I, I started learning. Like, man, stop trying to take control of so much stuff and just let it naturally grow. But at the same time, be honest with yourself. Like, I don't know if I was, I was trying to be successful for what everybody else's term of success was. I was trying to chase this shy's dream and some of that nature. You know, where it's like, no, what's what's what do you, what do I want? What is the dream that I have? And really chase after that you always speak about living in the even on the song lessons as well just living in the present embracing being in the present because we often are chasing the future or living in the past why do you think it's so important to embrace the present because even i feel as though i'm always going for the future i'm always on the what's next well you think about it when, when a quarterback throws an interception like they can't think about the interception right at the same time if quarterback threw three touchdowns they can't go on the field thinking about the next like uh, this is the next touchdown you got to be in the now you got to be locked in from a, so for me the, the lesson really comes from songwriting because if i wrote a if i wrote a hit song last year or wrote a hit song yesterday and i walk into the studio going well is this going to be a hit song i've already messed up the session so the only way i can really be true to the session is go what do i have now and how can I make it as good as I possibly can make right now? Like, that's all we have. Like, you and I right now, we just have this minute. At, at guess what? The next minute comes, this minute's gone. It'll still be this minute, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I can't treat my wife like my ex-girlfriends. I don't know who she's going to be in the future, so I can only deal with my wife now. Same with my kids. Same with my friends. So, you know, for me, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's this phrase that I've, that I heard many years ago, but I practice it. I, I use it so hard, it's process over product. And 
for me, the process of everything takes care of the product. If I were, if I think about how many Grammys it's going to win me or how much money is going to win me, that's product. That has nothing to do with the process and it won't lead you to have the best outcome. To me, if you, if you say focus on the ball, sorry, sport, no sports reference, and you say focus on the goal, the product will take care of itself. And for me, songwriting is very easy to stay process driven. The, the struggle is parenting, is in my friendships and things of that nature, like really staying in the moment and not really worrying about the outcome. Even like marketing plan, we, we think all oh, this marketing plan is gonna do whatever. We start posting on Instagram and it get crickets and like, oh, what happened? Why didn't it work? No, stay with the process, just stay with it, just stay with it, because eventually it will, it will pick up if you believe in it. So I'm very much a now person. And even more like um, what I got to get better with, what I try is like, think of somebody, call them now. You know what I mean? Um, you, you said you're going to do something for somebody, do it now. Don't wait. You know, like I'm, I'm trying to get better with that because it's probably just the best way to do it. You know, every time I think of my grandma, I should just call. Just, just hey, my grandma, I was thinking about you. Just, pick it up and just instinct not go oh, i'll call it when i get home you get home you get busy next you know you know so I'm, I'm very much trying to be a now person you always spoken about watching the process and how things done one example would be el debarge when you were on tour with him just watching how he was creating everything and him fixing a soundboard backstage when the sound was awful at a connecticut performance and even he him teaching the difference between making a money album and an album that yes. he wanted to do for out of his love and passion yeah he he said uh he, was, he had an album, mind you, I think this is 94, 95, and he had an album out, and I said, man, this is a really good album. He said, it, it, this is a money album. He said, I'm doing money albums to try to get to a good album. Not to mean he didn't put all his all into it, but I think he was really working for like true artistic freedom. And what I found was interesting, like, man, as much as DeBarge had succeeded at that point, as much as DeBarge had succeeded at the point, he was still trying to prove somebody. And I was like, so, I think nothing about being an independent artist, another, another seed planet was like, you know, creativity is success for me. Like if I can, if no one can stop me from creating the way I want to create, I can, I can just try to, I don't have to do money albums. I can just work on a good, like I can just aim at, now mind you, the world tells you whether it's good or not, right? But, but what you're trying to put into it, you're putting something good into it in hopes that it turns out. And I think I've, from day one, I've only tried to make good albums. And you make music based on how people feel based on what the music that you make yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a true relationship. And what I can tell you, I'm, I'm really honored to say is that, you know, my fan base, I earned them one at a time. You know, I, you know, Columbus, Ohio, first show was 30 people. Chicago, 50 people. My first show in Washington, D.C., 50 people. And now, you know, a lot of these places, it's a thousand and more now. You know, so how did we get there is by shaking every hand, by, by remembering when they came back, by challenging them to support what you're doing. And it's been a it's been a blessing, man, to um, to really watch it grow. I really that's the example I want people to see. I know it's hard work. Yeah, it was hard. It was humbling. You know, I, I had to sell C many a time, sell CDs to get home. <laughs> you know what I mean? And if you hey, listen, if you ain't got no other option the way of getting home, you're going to sell them CDs. You know what I mean? So, um I used to, it's funny, uh, I used to walk into the barbershop purposely with no money, but I would walk in with two CDs. And I was like, I'm gonna sell these CDs in the barbershop and pay for my haircut. It was like, it's just, even if I had the money to pay for it, I'm like, no, I'm gonna leave my wallet and walk with two CDs. And the CDs 
just like if you put your mind to it, you have no other option. It's going to work. You're going to make it work. You're going to figure out a way to work. It may not work that time, but it's going to work the next time or the next time after that. So that's really how we got to where we are. Mm -hmm. Kind of, you know, putting a, putting one foot in front of the other and just and just taking the highs and lows, the good and bads, the wins and the losses. Yeah. And embracing them all and just learning about it's not all about completion anymore because now you look at being as consistency. Yeah, I I, uh, I wrote a essay recently on I think it was called the five C's and it's like consistency is now just it's like it's the cousin to completion and uh, creativity collaboration where where uh, where the other two so it's four C's yeah but uh but consistency is is really really important you know um, and revisiting like if something works revisit it just go back to that to the same place i'm one who if if i if i wrote a song in the bathroom oh you're gonna find me tomorrow i'm in the bathroom <laughs> like i'm, I'm <laughs> that's where you it. write a lot of your lyrics in the bathroom oh, yeah. i've heard <laughs> a lot of time in the bathroom just keeping 100 yeah so but um but yeah but if it's the same thing if i'm on an airplane and, and i hear an idea um there was so I, I wrote these albums called earth wind and fire and the Earth album, the whole album was written on planes. So I was like really early flights, like six o'clock in the morning. So once I once I once I got into a writing rhythm at that really early flight, I told the staff like, book the next week, book me on. I need another six. I need an early early flight for the next show. And every time I got in that plane, it was there again. It's like it was just this, I found a rhythm. So yeah, you got to find what your consistency is, and it changes. It's not going to be just you know you eat waffles and the songs there. It's like no, but there's something that you have to keep trusting and that you got to go back and find it. I think that point happened for you as well when things changed was when you were songwriting because you're writing all these song placements, even for Carl Thomas and yeah. different R&B acts, huge artists in the game. And there were a couple of songs that you started to write for yourself. And that's when you lock yourself in your studio and you said that, no, these songs are for me. Yeah, that was a, so really my second album. So if, if you look at my second album, it's called The Vault Volume 1.5. Because volume one, I, half the album had sold, you know, the songs to other artists. And I think I, I had to really, you know, at one point, I introduced myself as, hey, I'm Eric Robertson, the songwriter. And if I want people to really recognize me, me as an artist, I have to be an artist. And, and it doesn't mean I can't write for other people, but you have to make sure there's a line. Like, if I give you a song, that song's yours. If this song is mine, this song is mine. If I'm working on a project, I got to really dive in and give them 100% to the project. Or else I'm robbing the artists, I'm robbing the fans, I'm robbing, you know, so. And at the same time, if I'm working on an album, for, you know, a Carl Thomas record, I'm diving in. I'm completely giving you the best record I could possibly give you. Same thing with Music Soul Child or whoever. But when I'm working on my project, I got to give myself the same thing. And I wasn't giving myself the same level of dedication. Uh, but from Volt Volume 1.5 on, it's been, it's been rocking. Are there any songs that you wrote for for even artists such as Carl Thomas, you mentioned Music Soul Child, that you wish that you could take back and make your own ever? <laughs> well, I will tell you, the only song, I, the, really the only song I ever took back, and then not for, you know, not, not in a bad way, like I was giving it, I have a song called Pretty Girl, and Music Soul Child cut it, and the label didn't put it on the album. And I was like, I'll take that back, let me get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but other than that, man, like really, once I once I give a, a artist a song, it's not mine anymore. Like I don't even, no matter if it's successful or not, I'm like I'm not like, oh man, I wish I held on to that. I will tell you that like with Carl Thomas, there was a song called Rebound, mm -hmm. and I was really developing a sound. I was trying to mix like 
Sting and Sade and, and this Soul Fulfill I was going, and Radiohead, I think I was mixing those three together. And I had this really quirky song and I put it on the CD. So I was going to see Carl, I put it on the CD, just really so I could hear it in the studio. Like, okay, he's, he's at the Hit Factory, wherever he's at, I could hear it in these big rooms. So I, I wasn't gonna play, I think there's no way he's getting once this song, but it's like song number eight on the, on the CD. And the first four I thought were bangers. I thought he's gonna take all these. He skipped past those so fast, and he gets the song seven or eight, and it's going boom, 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 boom. And he's pauses, and I go, uh-oh. And he's listening to it, and then he goes, uh, which is, I noticed that's him trying to check to see if, if it's in his key. I said, oh my God, he's about to take this song. And uh, in hindsight, would I have put it on the CD? I probably would have still, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, happy, he, I'm happy he did, he, he did the song. But in that moment, I was like, no, that's my baby, you know? But, but, uh, but it, he did a great job on the record and, uh, and, and it worked out, you know? But for the most part, you know, if I'm working on a project and we come up with a, a banger, it, I, I successfully gave you a banger. I, I'm, more, I'm just as happy that way. And then on my challenges, when I work on my album, I gotta come up with a banger for my album too. And, and there's plenty of bangers on lessons. And, 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 and I think that you even had your father on there, Pop Roberson. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is the second time uh, over the years where they just came by. And my dad's such a great singer, you know, cool dude. So whenever the mic is on, I'm just like, Pop, come on, get on it. <laughs> and, and even what you hear, that's just one take. That's just him kind of messing around and him and my mom just kind of laughing and playing around in the studio. But yet he's such a great vocalist, and um, but I really think I'm gonna. I, I, I've been saying this. I'm, I'm saying it so I can put it, you know, put it really uh, to 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 a reality. Is I want to write some songs for him, like really get him in the studio and really record. But um, it's always a good time to just have my family nearby. You know, my kids have been on my records in some form or fashion because they've been in the vocal booth and. You know, we were we were joking so much about Ray J uh, in that verses holding his child. <laughs> And, you know, shout out to Ray J, but I mean, I, I held my kids through albums, like, you know, wow. albums, I guess. Each each one of them, when they were a baby, uh, I think Mr. Nice Guy was was Rock, my oldest. I want to say The Box was was Ryder and Earth, uh, Earth, Wind and Fire, I think the Wind album. Oh, Tigalero was Max, uh, my album I did with Fonte, like as soon as, we started out when I came home from, came out, like out the hospital with him. So, you know, it's like, uh, they, I just love kind of keeping what I love around me when I'm creating. They're your A&Rs as well, your kids. Completely. Let me tell you, it, it, if I play something in the morning while making some pancakes or cereal or bagels or whatever, I put it on. And, and especially like I, I wrote this song with Corey Henry for his new project. And I remember um, he, he took it, everything was great. But then my, my six-year-old was like singing the other day and I was like, he was singing the song. I, was, I, I, I don't even know if I played it around him. I was like, wow. So like, you know, you're like, yes, yes, <laughs> you know. But if, but if I play something in the truck and they like, dad, can you turn the kids channel or something like that? It's like, y'all don't even hear it. At that point, no, no, it needs more work. So, so, but if it can get their attention, like lessons, it got their attention immediately. You know, it was, it was gonna be something. So they're, 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 they got some good ears for, for, for being young kids. 
Oh, I, I could definitely tell for sure. When I interviewed Brian McKnight, he actually told me something interesting. It was another lesson that I learned. When he was doing all those albums in the 90s, he said he had no feeling in it. He was just doing it. It was a fun, fundamental monetary albums. It was just to complete his deal, really. And he really didn't feel the love in it until some of his recent works with Genesis, Exodus. Was there ever a point in your career where you started to feel and have a passion for what you were really creating in a specific album? Was there an album that you felt as though that you felt the love that you were putting in to the, these records? Well, you know, I mean, not not exactly. I think that's maybe where he's at was something different. What I will tell you is that um, I think passion was always there for me. If I if I if I didn't feel the passion, I wouldn't do it. But I will tell you that um, I had to be careful because I started falling into the obligation. So here's something you pray for and you want, and then you have it. But now it's like overpowering. Now the tour schedule is crazy. Now everyone's calling for songs. Everyone's calling. And it can get a bit of a, like, you not as appreciated as much. But I'll tell you is when I hit record, I'm always connected. But it will be the it will be the walking off stage or like walking to the stage where you're like, oh, another show. And then it's like, no do you remember like do you remember when it wasn't working <laughs> you know what I mean it's like so that I, it took me like a, a second but I think music fan first I have an album called music fan first and that was the wake-up call for me like it's called that for a reason it's like oh remember you're a fan of this first like you know before you ever you know get to a point where you're ungrateful for what you prayed for and what you worked for like remember that you're a fan of it first and from that moment on it's been I've been connected like connected but i but i i will tell you that there was a period where the obligation of doing music for everyone and everyone pulling on you and everyone calling and asking got a bit overwhelmed i can i can only imagine uh what a brian mcknight and all his success how how that could feel i know it, it, it had to be pretty overwhelming as well as like maybe you have a contract over your head and you're trying to get out of this contract so it just becomes assembly but but I'll tell you the crazy thing is that he made a hell of really good songs he in did. that <laughs> Goodness gracious! I know when he told me I was like any time and back to one there was no love feeling in that. I was just all for monetary and contract. Cheese. I mean, but that shows how talented he is. Like I mean, just that you could write a hit song in your sleep like that. But you know what? When you look at the history of music and. I mean, Marvin Gaye, if you, and I read almost every book I could find on Marvin Gaye, and when you think of how troubled he was and how much he wrestled with and still was still able to make such beautiful music on all different spectrums, on really dark stuff like Here, My Dear, but on some really beautiful romantic stuff or sexual or happy or really like thought-provoking um, when yet there might've been times where he was wrestling with just being balanced. You know, and that's that's probably a lot of artists where even in their darkest or toughest moment or as blinded, they were able to, they were able to make some of their best work, even if they didn't feel it was their best work. You know, um, it's, it's crazy, but uh, I, I tip my hat off to all of them, man. I mean, you know, Brian Knight is a is a force, <laughs> a force to be reckoned with, you know? He really is. And Howard taught you how to balance things because you were friends with Marlon Wayans. Yeah, when yeah, yeah. He, he was going to Howard and it showed you that he could still do movies and go to classes. Yeah, he shot uh, Mo Better Blues. No, Better Blues. Mo Money. He shot Mo Money and then came back. <laughs> like, you have a movie out. Like, a, like, we're not talking about an album out. He has a movie out and he's walking across campus. And as well as, like, not just that, his 
his brothers have been living single, um, uh, living color. I'm sorry, I'm making all the things wrong. Living color, and there's this trajectory that you that you see he's on. I mean, at Howard, he was not just the funniest person at Howard. He's one of the funniest people you've ever seen, right? Just you don't want to get in a crack fight with him because he like you say a mama joke to him, you might as well bury yourself because he is going to destroy you. Just really, really funny, and yet can humble himself and sit in class to learn, you know? And um, I remember that, like, it, it was a beautiful thing, man. He's a great guy, man. Even, I don't see him much, but whenever you see him, it's just all love immediately. As soon as I see him, you can hear him from a distance. He, he's, yo, your mustache is all cut, uneven. And it, you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's right, pew, pew, pew. He's like, you fire, but it's all love, you know? Uh, great guy, but uh, but Al taught me a, a valuable lesson, and even like, like my, I had a professor named Al Freeman, and he played uh, Elijah Muhammad in the movie. All the Malcolm X, I did hear about that. And and like he shoots that, and he's right back in class, you know. And so of course you sit up when he starts talking about character development, because you're watching, you see the character development, you see he morphed into a different person, because he clearly wasn't that in class, right? He was a totally different person, and you're like. <laughs> okay, I'm understanding this now, you know? So there was a lot of that. And then of course, so when the Warner Brothers thing started happening, that was Warner Brothers in California. So, I'm, so you know, I'm doing class on a Friday then I'm running to the airport and flying to California. And, I'm, and then I'll put me back for class on Monday. Guess what? I might be back on Thursday. I think the teachers understood it. They, they understood that work ethic. They understood it. And, um, and I think it made it made us all better for it that we all we all were working. The teachers were working, the students were working. We were all like really trying to get it, and uh, it really helped me figure out how to balance it all. Yeah, you were taught lessons at Howard, and now you're teaching lessons at the Berkeley College of Music yeah. in Boston now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been great, man. I tell you, it's probably the biggest challenges I've ever had because I didn't expect that it would um, take up so much mental space. Like I, I thought, yeah, sure, I want to learn. Sure, I'm always mentoring. Sure, whatever. But I find myself like, you know, we're in the middle of a concert and the guitar player is playing a solo. And I start thinking about a question a student asked me in class that I still haven't answered yet. Oh, I still gotta figure that out yet. No, like, wait a minute, I'm on stage. Like, why am I still thinking about it? Like, think about it Tuesday. No, no, I'm thinking about it there. You know, I think because you, it means a lot. And those students are asking you questions, not just to buy time. They're asking you questions because they want you to save their life. They want you. To, they want the answer to their career and guarantee a place or where they put their. They're putting their all in their heart into it, um, and you you don't want to let them down. So I, I really uh, I really enjoy teaching. I think um, all the things that I've accomplished over the last two three years. I think the strategy that we've been doing come from me teaching. You know I can't I can't teach a student something and not practice it myself. You know. Uh -huh. If I'm telling them they got to go hard doing this and this and that, and they, well, why aren't you doing it? That's the first thing they'll say. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I got to be the example. And even like even last semester was very much, um, we're putting out an album. Watch me put this album out. Ask questions. If you see something go right or see something go wrong, ask about it. Let's talk about it. And uh, I, think, I think that's helped the students out a lot, like watching me actually do it too. What's something that you stress in your courses that you think that your previous professors didn't that you stress with? bringing it to your own as a teacher and professor? The the most important word is completion. The second most important word is networking. And I think the main magic at not just Berkeley, but any school, I think the magic at Howard University 
was not just what you were gaining in the classroom. Sure, you gain something amazing in the classroom and you take it and you try to provide it and be home. But the real magic at Howard University was in the dorm rooms. We all had our music equipment or our, our beat tapes, whatever. And at the same time, the relationships that, that came from it. So many songwriters and producers and artists came out of Howard from that 90s and two, early 2000s era because we all helped each other. And even on my, the, the, the very song we did uh, with Kenny Green, that's one of my homies I met at Howard. We did wow. music at Howard. You, you know, almost 30 years later, we're still doing music. And whether it's the Rich Harrisons or um, Taraji P. Henson or anything, it's like, I think the magic is that um, over the next 30, 40 years, I'm gonna open doors for you and you're gonna open doors for me. And we're gonna get there together. So that's the main thing I would tell you, like the students at Berkeley, I say, look to the left of you, look to the right of you, you're gonna need them, you know, and let's build this together. One of my best friends, when we were, when we were at Howard and we were playing John Madden, you know, <laughs> football, like all night, you know, I talked about becoming a recording artist and he talked about opening up a club in New York. And I look at it 30 years later, I'm a recording artist and he has a restaurant club called Amarachi in Brooklyn. And it started, I remember the dorm, I remember sitting in the dorm, I remember talking about it. And I think through the years, he held me accountable. He helped me when I was having troubles. He taught me out of some dark times and vice versa. When he was selling cars in Washington, DC, yo, remember you, what, what you doing? What's up with that restaurant you wanna open up? You know. And then at one point he had a little hole in the wall spot and the challenge to build that up to something bigger. We got there because we challenged each other. We got there because we were there for each other. We opened doors for each other. And I think that's what we have to remember in the industry as well. That's important that you speak about that. And it just all goes with the power of manifestation and visualization as well. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's no accident. I, like, so I've been, I listen to a lot of, for some reason, a lot of basketball podcasts. And you, you hear like the kid who grew six inches his senior year. You know what I mean? Uh, and you're like, golly, you, we knew him as a 6'10", you know, power forward his whole career. But he's like, yeah, when I graduated high school, I was only, you know, 5'11". He's like, you know, but they, it's something to it, man. But, but at the same time, you know, looking at like Puffy, there was no stopping that guy. He had a different drive. You look at Kanye West, as talented as, talented as he is, his biggest talent is he, 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 what you tell him doesn't affect him. Telling them that it won't work doesn't affect him. He's going to chase that idea, whether it's a music idea, whether it's a, a crazy sneaker or whatever. He's going to chase that idea. He might hurt millions of feelings and all stuff like that. And it may not be all the way right, but at the same time, there's something to learn from it. There's something to learn from it. And my thing is just like, man, just take that dream part. Now, I'm at a point now in my career, man. And you keep it really behind. I'm almost in the game now, going on 30 years. Yeah. I don't believe in devil's advocate. I don't need it anywhere around me. I don't need anyone to tell me something's not gonna work. Let me crash and burn. <laughs> I've, cracked, I've survived all the crashes up to this point, right? So at this point, if something else is not gonna work, I don't need anybody going, nah, B, that's not gonna work. If, if I'm about to get on stage with a lime green, lavender polka dot, double-breasted suit, let me do it. Let me do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like At this point, you know, or just the musical version of that or the marketing version of that. At this point now, I'm still chasing dreams. 
I'm still chasing dreams and I don't need anyone to tell me that dreams don't work. It's like, I wouldn't be able to take care, I'm taking care of my family doing music. You know what I mean? And I remember when it was a far-fetched idea. I remember when it was a dark, dark distance that was gonna work, like when things weren't working. And I was like, man, is this really meant to be? And guess what the next day I, I went back at it again. You know what I mean? Uh, I have a good friend of mine, and I'll, I'll give you guys the names so you guys can search it. This guy named Miguel Wilson. He's a tuxedo designer. And I'll tell you that he, 20 years ago, he lost everything. He lost his business. And uh, and I, he just told me the story. That's why I want to share it with you guys. And just after he lost everything, the IRS called him and said that he owes them $2 million. So imagine losing everything. You lose all your houses. You pawned all your jewelry. You, you have no cars. You have nothing. No money, nothing. And then the IRS is like, hey, you owe me $2 million. And he uh, asked if he could use a back room in, in one of his friend's shops. And he just started back. Started like one garment at a time, and he focused on men's fashion at that point. At one point, he was trying to do everything. Someone just focused on men's tuxedos, and he built it back to a multi-million-dollar business, right? And uh, so we were talking with his friends, and his friends were, 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 were talking about him, and he said the audacity to go back to it after everything burnt down, like that's the drive that you kind of have to have. And he said, man, he deserves everything he has because. Even when everything burnt down, he was like, I'm going to make another garment. And you know what I mean? So like, even when everything burns down, I'm going to write another song. I'm going to keep going till this works. I, I have no other, uh, not, not, not even no other, not no other choice. Not even like the desperation. No, this is what I plan to do. And the only thing that's going to really stop you is you. Oh, that's not, this is not meant for me. I'm going to stop. Oh, I got a better option. I'm going to stop. No, no, no. I'm not stopping. You know what I mean? I love doing this. I love creating. I love putting words together. Um, and I plan, to, I plan to be 90 years old, God willing. You and I sitting up here, you know, 40 years later, still talking about me putting words together. You know what I mean? So uh, I, I, I try to instill that in other people. It's powerful. And you have that same drive as Kanye and Diddy in which you've spoken about it, picking up the pen on your worst days, because there's a lot of times when people have bad days, they kind of just give up and just let it ride from there. Yeah. Put all of it, put all of it in there. Like, uh, I mean, if you put the same, if you put the, your worst day, write about it. I don't believe in writer's block. Like I, I think your best day, you should write about it. Your worst day, you should write about it. Your toughest day, you should write about it. Like that's that's why you're a writer, you know what I mean? And at the same time, it's still the same thing. Like put that energy into whatever you're doing. Put that energy to work harder. Put that energy to, you know, if, if you had a bad day, get on that treadmill again. If you plan to lose 100 pounds, like put all of it into into that and that will get you where you need to go. And I, 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 I'm an example of that, you know what I mean? As a writer, it's like, you can li you can listen to the songs and hear oh that he's writing about a bad day you know so um, there's no reason to say you can't do it you know I, like I said I don't believe in writer's block because that's just being overly critical or being doubtful that it that it's gonna work and for me it's 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 not about it's not my job to even decide what's gonna work it's just my job to do it you know yeah. you know my job is sports reference again shoot the shot. Whether it goes in, I'm gonna shoot my best idea of going in. But at the end of the day, Kobe Bryant had no control over the destiny of it. He he had a control in the shot, 
right? But he he had no way of saying, I know for a fact that every shot I'm going to take is going to go in because then he, he would have not shot it for such and such percentage, right? <laughs> You know, some shots are going to clank, some shots are going to go in, and but your goal is to take the shot and, and, and take the best shot you can take every time. Exactly right. Amazing songwriter. You also have your book out this year, too, Lessons, and you wrote your 100 Thoughts on Love and Life. Yeah. So just being a writer, you know, I love being, I, I love writing, and I think when we were doing a marketing for the album and for the song, we had this idea of kind of writing a lesson to each idea, marketing idea, and it just listening to the people people said you know this should be a book you should write more this this could be a book so then we said what what do we need to do to make it into a book and um it's been great man it's created some more conversation which i think is what you want out of art and uh and and it's really also helped me to move into that next chapter because i have two other books that i plan on writing well actually i already wrote plan on releasing in the next uh in the next year or two so i'm excited about that you know just I love putting the words together, you know what I mean? So hopefully it can spark more conversations. Yeah, I know for the lessons, the acoustic remix, because you, you have some talented acts on there with Kevin Ross, Raheem Devon, Anthony Hamilton, but you, you've always had a great relationship with Raheem Devon and even potentially getting a collaboration album together. Yeah, I mean, me and Raheem now, our collaborations go back arguably 20 years, maybe even not longer now. It's a good friend, man. And you know, you think I write, God, Lee, man, this guy, he should be studied, man. He should be studied. Like almost every show he does after that show, you find he's going to a studio. If he's in Idaho, he's going to find a studio in Idaho to record, you know, and uh, but just a good brother, man. And um, I think he has a he has a strong dream of putting together this super group and uh, he, he might be on to something now. So like hopefully, uh, hopefully do it soon. Like he, he really wants like four of us to all do an album. I'm like, I'm down, I'm ready. See, he, he's, he's got me. I think he just has to figure out who the other two members are. But uh, but also singing with Anthony and singing with Kevin Ross, who are also two great friends and amazing, amazing talents. Um, it was really good that they all came in to do that song with me and, and, and really take the time. They were all working on their own projects. So I appreciate the fact that they took the time to kind of sew into what we were doing. Yeah. And it's interesting to see the evolution of your guys' career and just the evolution of R&B and even hip-hop as a, as a genre, because you mentioned demo tapes and you passing the demo tapes around in L.A. You don't even hear about demo tapes anymore. <laughs> it exists. You barely have A&Rs now, you know? Yeah. I mean? so, you know, it's, it's, the industry has changed so much. Um, and, you know, I watched it change. I watched it evolve. I watched how it shifted. And, you know, what you can't do is you can't stay, you know, stagnant and say, well, I'm only going to do it this way. You got to adjust. You got to, with streaming, the world chose streaming. The fans chose streaming, so now it's like, okay, let's let's figure out how to work in the streaming, and even with social media, it's here now. Show me how you can work an album without using any level of social media, right? You know, it's like you gotta adjust to the changes, but you know, it's interesting. Guess what? In ten years from now, in two years from now, it's not gonna be how it is now. I, I would tell everybody when you put out a new album, you gotta throw away the last marketing plan. It's that's not gonna work. Like the, the industry changes so fast and so much that you had to first listen to where the industry is, what's the new forms of communication, what's the new things that are working, and then, you know, approach it again that way. For the lessons, I know that in the possible in the future that you would love to get Ice Cube on there. <laughs> I would love it. I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, Ice Cube. So back in the man, early 90s, uh, we had the same engineer. So he actually came to a couple of sessions and we actually did a little freestyle cypher and stuff like that. but. 
incredible talent, man. But all those like Snoop Dogg, Slick Rick, man, I'll take any one of the the the, the, the legends. Big Daddy Kane. Uh, I'm just a big fan of all the all the old school, man. They 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 still kill kill to me for me. So I'll take any one of them. In your mind, when we when you look at because you're a music fan first, as you've even made an album about it. What do you think is the greatest hip hop R and B collaboration song of all time? Ooh, greatest hip hop R and B collaboration. Well, that's tough. I think um, what comes comes to mind. I think like "Come and Talk to Me," which is nobody rapping on it, but it really was like kind of the first time you took like a doo wop mixtape type beat, like an EPMD beat, and had somebody singing over it. Jodeci. We, we grew up. We grew up listening to that. You know, where they take, uh, they'll put a hip hop beat under uh, uh, Take Six, or like they might take a Luther record and put it with an Eric B. and Rakim beat. And it might be a different key and everything, but it was just like crazy that we're putting all this together. I think that Come and Talk to Me remix was the first time we were like, the rule book is gone. Let's let's work. Like it, it, music was different from that point on. But but if we're actually talking about singing and rapping together. Oh my God, there's so many dope ones. I, I mean, You're All I Need, Method Man, and, and uh, Mary J. Blige. You don't get much better than that. Uh, hey, Lover with LL Cool J and Boys to Men. That's pretty tough. That's pretty tough, too. LL Cool J is me. You can do no wrong. Um, there's, some, there's some big ones, man. There's some big ones. Uh, um, uh, uh, what's it? Um, Dear Mama, Tupac. Who was. With Dave Hollis is singing, uh, I'm hard with names, but um, I'll keep your head up. That's one. Keep your head up. Uh, goodness gracious, the harmonies on that on that record, uh, Dave Hollis, the man, he just he just smashed that record. So uh, that's another one. I mean, there's it's so many, so many incredible, inc- incredible collaborations of R&B and hip hop. Uh, like I said, I could just, I could just keep going. <laughs> Many of them, you know what I mean? And you have something in common with Dave Hollister, United Tenors. Yeah, yeah, good friend. Still one of the greatest vocalists that's ever walked the face of this earth, and uh, and also just really humble. But I tell you, man, <laughs> I know a lot of people. Dave Hollister knows more people in the world than anybody else. I mean, we would be in North Dakota, get off the tour bus at a McDonald's, and he'd be like, John. Dave, it's like, how do you know, like, everybody, like, it was, he knew everybody, but it's also showed us what kind of, kind of person he is, it's a great person. Yeah, absolutely. Have you thought about conducting your own Tiny Desk performance? Uh, yeah, you know, we, uh, if they would have me, I think we would do it in, uh, in the same, you know, it's interesting, because we're actually recording here now, um, doing like an acoustic uh, version of All I Want. Um, just, just to, just to have that even for a tiny desk, but, um, but, uh, I think tiny desk would be really, really cool. I think it just, uh, trying to uh, reapproach the songs and I think that's the magic of tiny desk of like just showing a different way of approaching it and showing it live and showing how you do it. I'm, I'm a live performer. So, um, I would love to, you know, to do that. So hopefully, hopefully we, hopefully we get tiny soon. That would, that would be amazing. <laughs> Have you ran into Benny Medina since after your deal and being 21 years deep in the game and independent? Have you ran into the any of your old people there? One time. One time. Just recently, actually, right before the pandemic oh, wow. started. Um, he manages Jennifer Lopez now. That's right. We were, so I had an album coming out. We were all at, at Spotify 
um, like just pitching, like just, you know, hey, we got an album coming out, whatever. Just kind of shaking hands, kissing babies. And my meetings were like 10 minutes right before his meetings. So like, um, and it's crazy. That was the first time crossing paths then, straight then. And I think things are so hectic that I don't even know if, to be honest with you, I don't know if he put two and two together. I think he, I, like, it's crazy. Think about this, it's crazy. That's 30 something, that's almost 30 years, no, it's almost 20 something, no, it's almost 30 years ago, the moon stuff. And we just talked for a quick second, but I don't know if we talked from a standpoint of moon. I think we talked from a standpoint of like, we hear, he saw what I was, I've been doing. Um, and even if it was, it, it, we didn't have much time. Cause like it, we were all being pulled into different offices and stuff like that, but it was the first time, but it was, it would be good to kind of sit back. But yeah, I think that Benny signed so many artists. And really, if you think back then, I'm one of the artists that didn't work. So he's probably thinking of the Karen Whites, the Princes, the Rich, you know, he's thinking of the, the artists that he made tons of money from. I don't know if he really remembered too much of that. And, I, and even like, it's funny because Hiram Hicks signed me to Island Records shortly after that. Well, no, I'm sorry. Hiram Hicks dropped me from Island Records shortly after that. Because he, he just became president and involved there. Yeah. yeah. So, so years later, I worked with Hiram and you think like, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I walk him holding a grudge and like, he didn't even remember it. He came in and wiped the whole slate clean, but it was like, nah, come in here and get this money, man. Like, the, the 10 years later, it's like, nah, let's make some money, man. I'm not even worried about, man, you dropped me 10 years ago. Nah, man, let's get in and get this money. And, but at the same time, he didn't even remember it. He just was like, you know, those A&Rs back then, they signed hundreds of groups and probably out of the 300 groups they signed, 10 came out, you know? And then out of the 10, five were successful, <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> it, it was interesting, but it was good seeing him. You know what I mean? Like I said, he's another person who he's figured out a way to still make a living doing this. And he's had a great, I mean, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and of course Jennifer Lopez and so much. He's, he's had a great, great career. So um, it's, I appreciate him giving me one of my starts, you know? Yeah. Eric Roberson, 21 years deep in the game here. I know you live in the present, but there's ever a time that you reflect on it. What are you most thankful for? I know you're most thankful for your fans, of course, but what are you most thankful for besides your family and friends? I'm thankful I'm still here and still able to do it. You know, I think I'm, I, I'll be honest with you that, yeah, I'm just now getting to a point in my career where I'm able to look back a little bit. Like I've, I've been just pushing forward, pushing forward. But now, you know, I mean, I, people have had kids to my music. People gotten married to my music, been married for years now. Um, people have healed, listened to my music through uh, cancer treatments, and you know, um, people have said that my music helped with their mental health or calmed their autistic child. You know, so when you when you, I, I know how I listened to Stevie Wonder, how what Bill Withers' music did to me, what Sade did for me, what Tribe Quest did for me. So to now hear a student or hear a person say that my music did anything like that. It is pretty rewarding. So I, I, I'm at a point now where I could kind of take a minute and, and, and just kind of, not too long, <laughs> but take a minute, just kind of go, man, this is pretty cool, man. You know, pretty cool. Uh, it's funny, just, just a couple of days ago, we, you know, we, we get fine, it got warmer to finally get, we have a pool and we got in the pool with the kids and I, the kids are jumping around and, was for me, and just for a moment, I looked up and just said, yeah, man, this is pretty cool, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I did that right back, ah! But just for a quick second, I had to just look up and just look at the sun, and just look at the heat, and just look at the kids, it was like, 
this is this is pretty dope. And then it's right back to work. And it's the same thing. Every once in a while, I, I look up and appreciate the, you know, could it be more money? Could it be more awards? Yeah, sure. But guess what? We're here. We're still picking that pin up, still writing, still voice is still there. I'm grateful. Yeah. And I'm glad to hear that, especially that they're still funding it for you a lot to achieve. And I know it was just reported Daz Dillinger just retired and he said that there's just no more fun in it for him anymore. And wow. yeah. Wow. That, God bless him. Yeah. God bless him. He did a lot of great music. And, you know, I mean, to each his own, everybody, everybody has a different story and a different relationship to creativity and to music. So if you feel like I, I'll probably be the same way. If I woke up one day and there's no more songs in me, no more music there, I probably would stop, I guess. But I, I, I had an idea today. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you got more books on the way here. Yeah, more books to it. So I don't, I don't find myself stopping anytime soon. But, but you know, at the same time, man, God bless them if they're able to retire and not be retired, right? But I, retire on your own choice. That, that's, that's pretty dope. Jay-Z retired. On those terms, exactly. like if you can retire on your terms, not like no one wants to listen to you anymore and they stop you. I, I'm not a fan of that. I'm not. I'm. I'm a fan of retiring. I'm not a fan of being retired. Exactly. So. So yeah, that's, that's pretty. That's pretty dope. Shout out to Daz. That's pretty dope. Yeah, Eric Roberson. What's next for you besides the books, performances? Anything else you want to let your fans know here on the show? You know. Uh, Whatever comes next, I, I, I try not to get too much in the way of, but more books, more songs, more tours, um, and whatever else may, you know, may evolve. I, I just, I'm always trying to listen, you know, to see what it is, but whatever it is, let me put my heart into it and I'm gonna have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, and I know you will. And anything else, that's it. That's pretty much it. I think we covered everything. Listen, the Giants may not be there next year, but the offensive line is finally heading the right direction. <laughs> give me, give us a couple years. What I'll say, I'm leave it, leave with, leave with this because I see you got the Yankees cap, cap on. The Giants are the only, and anyone watching this, if you go, you get, find, find me, find it, find it, find me wrong any other way. I don't know of any other sports organization, maybe outside of high school, but any professional sports organization that has won a championship four decades straight. The Giants won in the 80s, they won in the 90s, they won in the 2000s, they won in the 2010s. It's only 2022, right? So we got eight more you gotta years. Got to get another ring. I'm good with it. I, they've, they've, they've never, they've been good. They've been very rewarding, right? So show me, a, show me a basketball team, show me a hockey team, show me any other professional sport that has won a championship. Now there's teams that have lost a championship four decades straight, the Patriots, you know, and, and a whole bunch of others. But... The Giants' only team I can never think of, professional team, that's won a championship four decades straight. You know, so, hey, we're in a new decade. Um, I got faith in my blue, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Eric Roberson, I want to thank you for coming on the show here tonight. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for all the music that you created out over the years here, especially with your new album, Lessons. Mr. Nice Guy, Picture Perfect. You have some classics in there as far as R&B goes. We're never going to forget it. Thank you to Sweet Locks for setting this up as well. Ah, yes, that's my girl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Next time I'll wear my Yankees hat. <laughs> my good call, man. Thank you for your time, man. Appreciate of, it. Of course. And they can follow you on Instagram at arrow44. 44, yeah. And you can also go to the website, ericrobersonmusic.com. Everything's over there, too. Yep. You could check that out. Eric Roberson, enjoy the rest of your night. Take care and stay safe, all right? You too, man. Peace. Peace out, man.